You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. ...is no longer Christian. And that's not unusual. 40 million Americans have stopped attending church in the past 25 years. That's something like 12% of the population, and it represents the largest concentrated change in church attendance in American history. Y'all, we're living through the largest concentrated change in church attendance in our nation's history. And they did a big study about this, and they found that really the people not attending church anymore, they break into three groups. Now, the first group is really just too busy and too distracted anymore to go to church. And that's actually the largest group. And so they don't care particularly about areas of theology, areas about spiritual discipline. They, they really, they came to church to find people like themselves, have a positive experience, find the right friend groups for their kids. But they figured out you don't particularly need Jesus for any of that. Lots of things out there in the world offer those things. And so what we found out is many who were in churches never really were in search of the real thing. They were looking for some fake substitutes, and for a while the church was willing to oblige and offer those things, but they went and found a bigger and better deal. Now, the next two groups, groups two and three, they came to church looking for the real thing, but didn't find it. And so the second group are seekers. They're not uh, they may or may not call themselves, identify themselves as Christian. They don't have a, a lot of theology, but they're still seeking. They're, they're seeking the real thing in some way. But instead, in the church, they had some kind of negative experience, maybe even abuse, hypocrisy, scandal, and so they left. Now, the third group, the third group cares deeply about theology and spiritual disciplines. They consider themselves committed to Christ's followers, but they have seen the church split by politics, split by culture wars, or simply too distracted by other things, and so they have left. So you add all this up together, and what do you have? You have a, a culture of people looking at the church and asking, is it real? And maybe, just maybe, you've been asking that question too. Maybe you're here asking that very same question. And that's why we're doing that, this authentic series. We're going to look at what is the real thing according to the scriptures. What is authentic Christianity? So today we're going to be in John 6. We're going to look at Jesus when he is his most popular. He has the most eyeballs on him he had in his whole ministry. And they're all asking, what is real about Jesus Christ? And guys, I got to be honest, not a lot of people like the answer. A lot of people are going to walk away by the time chapter 6 is over. But the ones who listened... The ones who were looking for and found the real thing, they would never go back. Their life has changed forever. So let's open up our Bibles to John 6. We're going to begin in verse 25. It says, when they found him, on that's Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So obviously we're hopping in in the middle of some. There's been some things going on. So the beginning of chapter 6, Jesus feeds the 5,000. And again, he's never been more popular, and you can understand why. 
for obvious reasons. This, this guy, he can fill my belly whenever he wants to. I love this guy. Well, then without warning, he goes to the other side of the sea. They weren't expecting him to do that, so they wake up the next day, and he's on the other side. And they ask him kind of an odd question. It's not the question I would have asked. They say, when did you get here? Now, I would have asked, how did you get here? Because there's not a boat. You know how he got there? He walked on water. I would have had some questions about that. But they don't. When did you get here? And Jesus tells us why this is their question. He exposes their motivation. He says, you want me to fill your belly. So the question in their heart went something like this. Hey, hey, if you're here and it's past breakfast time, then why am I still hungry? It's kind of like you know, summoning a waiter. Hey, waiter, you're here. Why is my glass empty? Let's, let's fill this thing up here. Come on. And Jesus gives them a choice, an either-or choice. It can't be a both-and. He says, he asks them, do you want me to satisfy your belly or satisfy your soul? That's your choice this morning. Do you want temporary nutrition or do you want eternal life? Because here's the thing he's going to say. If, if I fill your belly again in a few hours, we're going to be right back to where we started. Remember, we, we did this whole exercise yesterday and you are already dissatisfied. But if you come to me to satisfy your soul, it will endure. It will be eternal life, not just a temporary fix. Listen, each and every person here has to make the same choice. Ask themselves the same question. Why are you here? Is it for something temporary or is it for something eternal? Is it to satisfy your belly or to satisfy your soul? And I know, I know, most of us don't need bread. Most of us are going home to full cupboards. I get it. But we all still have our laundry list for God, don't we? We have our own little grocery list of things we want God to do or fix in our lives. And Jesus is saying, if, listen, if all you want is your list, you'll never find authentic faith. You won't find it. And the next thing Jesus does is he reveals some of these substitutes that they settle for other than the real thing. So let's keep reading. Verse 28. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So Jesus exposes false substitute number one. False substitute number one, works. Works. See, Jesus, he starts teaching, and they, their response is to relate to Jesus the same way they'd related to God their whole life. Okay, cool. Just tell me what I have to do for you to give me what I want. And listen, they, these are not bad people. They're probably sincere. They were good Jews. They had learned the whole law. They had tried their best to practice the law. They, they probably sincerely are going to give it their best effort. Jesus, whatever you tell us to do, we're going to do our best. You have those conversations with God, don't you? I think most of us here probably, we probably know that question from the depths of our soul. What do you want me to do, God, for you to give me what I want? Lord, if you will just help me, I will be good. I will behave. And Jesus says, I don't want you to behave. I want you to believe. 
The false substitute is the behavior. It's the works. It's the things we do. The authentic, real thing is faith. It's belief. So let's talk about that that authentic faith when he says believe in me. What, that word belief, it's the word pistuo. Y'all, it is huge. It appears over 300 times in your New Testament. I should have figured out what other words are around that often. It's not many. It is going to be a short list. And it is so important. Hebrews 11 says, without this, without faith, no shot in pleasing God. It is impossible to please God without faith. You can't do enough. There is no substitute out there for it. And as important as this word is, y'all, it, is, it has been robbed of its riches by our culture and by our understanding. Because usually we reduce belief, we reduce faith down to just acknowledgement of facts. We kind of keep it all up here. We believe some facts, just like I believe, you know, the sky's blue, you know, and stuff like that. That's just head knowledge. It is so much richer and so much of a richer meaning to that original audience that Jesus is talking to. And it's multifaceted. Uh, there's a lot that it means, but really you could summarize it into two kind of buckets. And the first one, the first one is this. Authentic faith is faithfulness. Authentic faith is faithfulness. Like a marriage, loyalty, allegiance. And so in that sense, y'all, faith, biblical faith, is far more relational than it is factual. In fact, did y'all know in the Old Testament understanding, you could not put your faith in someone that you did not already have a covenant relationship with. You literally could not have faith in someone you were not in covenant with. So you can think about it this way. A lot of you know my wife, Melissa. You may know a lot about her. You may know the color of her hair, the car she drives, uh, what her middle name is. I mean, all, all kind of different things. But only I have married her. I've been faithful to her. I've placed my faith in her. It's, it's that level of relationship and trust and faithfulness. And this crowd is mostly Jews. This is the first thing that would have come to mind. Give me your faithfulness. The second aspect is this. Authentic faith is trust. It's trust. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. And so, man, I love these. These are the kind of analogies everyone can understand. In the same way you trust your eyeballs to tell you where you can set your feet, even more so, we follow Jesus by trusting him. It says, it helps me know I can, it's firm ground. I can set my foot there. Not long ago, we showed our, our kids uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. And, you know, he's on his journey through the caves to meet the creepy old man with the cup of Christ. And he's got one more obstacle to overcome. And it's this huge chasm, too far to jump over. And it's so far down, you can't even see the bottom. And he's got to get across. And, he's, and he knows he's going to have to just step off into the chasm he's scared and he's nervous. And Sean Connery, his father, you know, tells him, you have to believe, boy. You have to believe. And he steps out trusting there is something there beyond just what he can see. That's exactly what Paul's talking about. And biblically, he has not believed, he has not put his faith in it until he takes that step. That step is faith. It is belief. And this is something, it really, it really comes out in the original language. Even when the phrase we say, believe in something. 
It's that word pistuo with the preposition ace. And we, that's how we usually translate it. It's we believe in. Well, that can give a picture. I'm just like sitting in my chair thinking about something, and I, I decide to agree with it. Yo, that is not the connotation. The co- connotation is actually more like believe into something. So not believe in, it is believe into. Belief sends you somewhere or to someone. And so the picture is the believer jumping into his Savior's arms and holding on with all his heart. That's what Jesus is asking you for. Jesus is asking for faithfulness to him and trust in him. Jesus is telling them to place their whole life into his care. But the people like me, like us, they want to settle for something less. So let's keep reading verse 30. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers A man in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So this gives us our false substitute number two, knowledge. False substitute so many times for faith is simply knowledge. So next in this crowd, next come out the theologians and the Pharisees. They step forward and they presume to teach Jesus about the Bible, okay? Never a good plan. Don't ever try that. And Jesus corrects them. He corrects them on two counts. Number one, he points out, it wasn't Moses who sent the bread. It was God. And so if I'm really here feeding the 5,000 and you really want some miracle bread from me, then you've got to realize I am from God. I'm driving this bus. It's time for you guys to get on the back of the bus, is what he's saying. Second correction he has for him, it's a little farther. It's in verse 48. He casually points out, yeah, 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 your forefathers, they ate that miraculous bread every day, but where are they now? Are they here? Can we talk to them? No, because they still died. I, I can do what Moses did, but you'll all still end up in the same place. You have a bigger problem that I have come to help you with. Bigger than that rumbling in your tummy. And that's why I'm here. I'm here for eternal life. Man in the desert was pointing to something greater. It was pointing to true bread from heaven that gives eternal life. And you know, I think it's healthy for us to ask these Pharisees, they, they had more knowledge than anyone. They knew the scriptures better than anybody. How could they know so much and miss Jesus? Well, it's because, I man, when faith is no more confined to your head than it is to your belly. It's not just about knowledge. Jesus said this amazing thing. He said, authentic faith is available to children. Now, y'all, that sounded insane to the Pharisees because a kid cannot memorize the Torah word for word like me. That's true. You know what a child can do? A child can meet and trust a person. In fact, they're great at that. And that is what Jesus is asking us for. Don't get me wrong, men and women. Theology is important. It is so important. I've dedicated my life to studying it I've said a hundred times that our Bible is a miracle. It is from heaven. But just like manna in the desert, just like the bread that fed the 5,000, it is meant to point us to something greater. 
It is meant to lead us into a relationship with Jesus. And isn't it true? Isn't it true that so many times the easiest substitute for trusting in Jesus is just gaining more and more knowledge about Jesus? That's that's why this analogy of bread is so helpful that Jesus uses. It's so helpful. You cannot live off your knowledge of bread. All the studying of bread, all the analyzing of it, even all the admiration of bread will provide you zero nutrition. You gotta, you gotta eat it. You gotta digest it. You gotta take it into yourself. And faith is how you eat the bread, men and women. Belief is how you eat the bread. It's how you take the bread into your being and live off of it. And so listen, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you've been around church for a long time, gaining more and more knowledge about Jesus, but do you have more and more trust in him? Please don't miss the mark. We can't come here just to puff ourselves up with more knowledge or to get a few life hacks to help us or some good advice. That's not what church is about. We are here to grow in our authentic trust and faith in Jesus Christ. We are here to throw ourselves into his arms. Well, next, next Jesus gives them the mic drop moment. Next, he tells them the thing that they never expected to hear. Jesus tells them, here's how you can tell the difference between the real thing and the substitute. Let's read, pick it back up in verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus told them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall not thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. Here's the test. Here's how you can tell if it's authentic faith. Authentic faith is God-focused. Authentic faith is God-focused. You know, verse 34, it just makes me kind of laugh. I mean, Jesus is teaching. He's saying this stuff. And finally, they're like, yeah, cool, 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 cool. Uh, About that bread, though. Uh, I mean, can can we still get some bread? Like, where's the bread? I just just want bread. You know, And Jesus said this thing they never expected. I'm the bread. It's me. I'm the bread. The bread isn't something I give you. It is what I am. The real provision is the person, men and women. Jesus is not a means to an end. He is the end. You know, I'm convinced that the de-churching in America is happening because we are losing our authentic faith and we are treating Jesus as a means to an end. We are using Jesus to get something else. Bread. What, what does he mean? What does he mean when he says, I'm the bread? Well, you have to eat to live, don't you? So he's saying you make a list, make a whole list of all the things you need. It's really just a list of one. I know, I know you think you need me to give you this and give you that and do this and do that. No, no, no. What you need, what you've been looking for is me. I am the only thing that will satisfy you. That's what he's telling them. 
You know, over and over again, he talks about eternal life. In verse 41 through 59, he's going to promise eternal life seven more times. Well, we got to understand something. Eternal life, y'all, is more than just eternal existence. In hell, you will exist for eternity. That is eternal existence. Eternal life is going back to the garden. It is living forever in perfect relationship with God, just like you were created for. So he's saying in the same way that bread sustains physical life, relationship with Jesus sustains eternal life. And what's that? Perfect relationship with God. It only comes through Jesus. And that means, men and women, you cannot give yourself the life you're looking for. You cannot give yourself the life you're looking for. Authentic faith is way more about what Jesus does than it is about what I do. Keep reading verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. So he repeats this language over and over again of raising up. I will raise him up. What is that? What's that about? That's an allusion to Numbers 21. Everything Jesus is doing is referring back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. So back then, God's people were grumbling, just like they are in John 6, he points out. You know, give us more stuff, God, be our waiter. And y'all, so then... (laughs) I can't, this gives me the heebie-jeebies thinking about it. God sends fiery serpents. Fiery serpents start appearing around and biting everyone. What? Y'all, I cannot think of anything worse. Wait, I, I can't keep picture. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what can you do to save yourself when fiery serpents are going around everywhere biting everyone? Nothing. You can't save yourself. It's beyond your capacity. But God provided a way. Told Moses, take a bronze servant, put it on this staff, hold it up and tell the people, look and live. Look at what Moses has raised up and you will be raised up. That's what you can do. Now, thank goodness, I don't see any fiery serpents in this room right now. But we're all still in the same boat, aren't we? You, today, what can you do to save yourself from death? In the same way, the Bible says, what what can you do to bridge the separation between you and God because of sin? The answer is obviously nothing. But you can look and live. You can look at Jesus and have eternal life. Why? Because just like that serpent, Jesus himself will be lifted up on the cross one day. He will die so you can live. And that way, faith is way more about what he does than what I do. And you know what? Bread teaches us the same lesson. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Men and women, Jesus is simply pointing out that before something can be food, it has to die. Think about the past few meals you've eaten. Hopefully, none of that was still alive when you ate it. In order for bread to do your body any good, it has to be broken. You got to use your teeth to tear it up and gnash it up. And only then can it be digested. Jesus is telling you, because I died, you can feed on me. That's how I can be food for you, because I died. And this is why authentic faith is God-focused. It's way more about what God does than what you do. Y'all, all we are, we are just a snake-bitten people who can't escape death, but we can look and live. We're just a starving beggar who is hungry, and Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body. It is for you. See, men and women, the, the simple gospel is this. God created us for a relationship with him, but we were not faithful. We did not trust him, so we sinned. And that sin separated us from him. So Jesus came to earth. He lived the life that you and I could never live. He died the death that we deserve. And what do you know? He rose again into eternal life. And so you can know, you can know this morning that he loves you. And you can know that he can give you eternal life. All you have to do is put your faith in him. All you have to do is jump into his arms, and that is authentic faith. And then Jesus gives us this beautiful picture. He's going to show us authentic faith in real life. This is real reality TV here, okay? Verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This had to be such a powerful moment. I mean, people are like sprinting away from Jesus, like can't get away fast enough. He's not worried about them. He just looks at his disciples, looks them in the eye and says, how about you? Do you want to go too? Oh, and Peter's response, Peter, for the win here. Lord, to whom shall we go? Notice it's about who he goes to, not what he gets. He's essentially saying it's a, not about the gifts, it's about the giver, it's about who I trust, who I believe into. He says, you have the words of eternal life. Y'all, I'm sure Peter was just as hungry as everyone else when he said that. But he said, I'm here for my soul, more than for my stomach. And then he said, I believe you are the Holy One of God. I don't, I don't know where we're going. Jesus, half the stuff you said confused me too, but I know who you are. So I'll follow you wherever you go. I will trust you. And that's it, men and women. That's the whole ball game. Jesus has his heart. He has his trust. This is the picture of authentic faith. You know, the reality for each and every person here, each and every one of us, is that Jesus is available. The question for each and every one of us is, do you have the appetite? He's available. 
but do you have the appetite? You know, I say the same, I end up saying the same thing every time I go to a Mexican restaurant. Every time. I sit down and, man, my watermelon has barely hit the seat and here comes the chips and salsa. And y'all, I just start munching. I just start munching and they keep refilling and I keep munching. You know, and I'm look at the menu of oh, steak fajitas. Please, I'll take some of those. Man, they're going to be so delicious. I can't wait. But the whole time I'm just talking and munching. And then here come the smoky, sizzly fajitas and the big plate. There's like five different plates around me. You know, it looks amazing. And then I always say the same thing. I'm already full. I can't enjoy the delicious fajitas because I've already filled my belly on the cheap chips and salsa. And that is exactly what is happening in churches in America today. We are not showing up so that we can look and live, so that we can take and eat from Jesus because we are already full on other things. But those things don't really satisfy us, do they? They don't really give us eternal life. They don't really fill our souls like they promise, do they? Listen, if that's you this morning, I want you to know Jesus can satisfy your soul. He says, I want to be your bread, not give you some bread. How? How can you receive Jesus? Simply authentic faith. He's saying, all I want is for you to trust me. I want a marriage with you, not a transactional relationship with you. So I want to close this morning by asking you to think about something this week. And we'll probably close the same way each, uh, in each of our sermons on this authentic series. What is your next step towards authenticity? What is your next step towards authentic faith? Listen, it may be that you need to repent. Repent of some of those false substitutes. Repent of wanting the provision more than the provider. For some of you, it may be to believe, maybe for the first time. You've had a lot of knowledge for a long time, but it's time to move beyond knowledge and into trust. It is time for you to say with Peter, I have come to believe that you are the Holy One of God. But you know, I think there's also some application for us corporately. Because in Matthew 16, when Peter gave this confession, Jesus said, my whole church will be built on top of that confession. My church will be built on top of authentic faith. And so I want to say to each and every one of you this morning, my commitment to you is that this church will be built on authentic faith in Jesus Christ and that alone. We will not settle for any substitutes. We will not be co-opted by any other cause. We will not use Jesus for something else. And here's why. Y'all, my, my highest hope for us as a church is that when those people come walking in these doors asking that same old question, asking, is it real? Amongst us and in through us, they will find the real thing. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.